Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet, who just got back from ATIA. Chris, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Rachel. Ooh, the conference <laughs> took a lot out of you, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of exhausting, but in a really good way. You know, conferences always are, but especially ATIA. For me, Rachel, it's sort of like coming home. Uh, the Assistive Technology Industry Association Conference I've been going to for a thousand years now. And it, because I'm old and I'm a veteran in this field, I know so many people from over the years, you know, that I just run into. It's it's, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I have the, the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis, you know, and these are my, like, my immediate family. And then when you go to ATIA, it's like visiting your extended family. It's all these people that you participate in your PLN, your, you know, professional learning networks, the people I see on, and correspond with via email and Twitter and, and Facebook and, and now Instagram. Yes, yes. I, uh, I mean, I've had Instagram for a while, but I didn't really use it as much. But man, was there a huge Instagram underground uh, thing going on there. I was like, yeah, I really need to do this more. Uh, I've been saying that to myself for years, but there was a... It's funny because that's how I feel about Twitter. I like, I think I told you at one point, I was somehow automatically posting to Twitter. I've had a Twitter account for, I don't know, five or six years at this point. And some type of like automation I had set up was automatically posting to Twitter. And my friends at one point sat me down for an intervention and they were like, listen, you need to figure out your Twitter because you're only posting like half a sentence and nobody understands what you're saying. (laughs) And I was like, what? And so it took me forever to figure out like how to like stop that automation. Um, But I just don't use Twitter. I'm not, I don't tweet. I don't, I don't get it. Well, and you know, I talked to a bunch of the Instagram people while there and it really reminds me of this whole, this whole Instagram movement. So this whole Instagram movement, especially with speech language pathologists, really reminds me of back in the day when Twitter was taking off. There was a number of us that went to ETIA and we all kind of knew each other because we were the Twitter users, <laughs> uh, the Twitter users that uh, that were at ETIA and, um, and kind of gelled that way. And I feel like that's the same thing now happening with Instagram is there's a bunch of people that they, oh, I follow you on Instagram. I was sitting in sessions where people are like, yeah, that's so-and-so from Instagram and that's so-and-so from Instagram. I'm like, this is exactly what Twitter was like for me. And then as an added thing, Rachel is like, well, doing this podcast, you do Instagram more than I do. And I do Twitter more than you do. And that sort of is a good balance. I feel like, right. We get both social media platforms that way. And then you and I are both on Facebook. So. Yeah. And I was told by a business coach once, um, and it's always stuck with me and they said, use what you like. You don't feel, don't feel the need to have your business on, you know, every, every social media channel out there. If you like it, that's what you'll, you'll spend your time doing. Cause it is a time commitment, right? You have to mm-hmm. go on, you have to post, you have to engage, you have to do all these things. And so, um, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes you're drawn to one platform versus another. And I think there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. So I've got some stories to tell you. So the first one was Creepy Chris story. So um, I get off the airplane and I took a shuttle to like this bus shuttle, the Mears shuttle to the to the hotel. And as I was the first one in line, so I hand the person my ticket and I'm standing there. And then this woman comes over and she's kind of side eyeing me a little bit. And I'm side eyeing her like, I think I know you. And, and, and but I did because we were outside. It's nighttime. I'm there by myself with her. I didn't want to be that creepy Chris like, hey, hello. Hello, lady. Do I know you? You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird. Um, Even though it was pretty clear we did know each other. And it turned out to be Heidi Robb, who is, um, uh, I know her from Quiet, and she has been to the the Quiet Lister, which is a listserv that I participate in, the Quality Indicators for Assistive Technology. Um, I've known her for, uh, for, for a while now, but not really, like, sort of one of those people, like, you kind of recognize your face, but not really. Like, I know I've seen you before. So anyway, um, it wasn't until the shuttle pulled up, and when the shuttle pulled up, opened the door, and there was um, a bunch of people that, that knew me from the podcast, and uh, actually, uh, Amanda Hettenhausen, who is, uh, you're going to hear later on today. I did an interview with her while we were at ATIA. She was on the bus. And so that's when like, oh, you are Chris and you are Heidi. You know what I mean? Because uh, then we were able to put it all together and I wasn't so creepy. 
Yeah, I understand that. I understand you don't want to be creepy Chris. Nobody wants creepy yeah. Chris. Because what if it wasn't Heidi, right? And now I'm coming up in the middle of the night going up to a woman like saying, hey, don't I know you? Like it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is also weird when you see people you recognize from the internet that you've never actually seen in real life, which happens often, right? Because we're so hyper-connected on social media that it's just like, it's wild to me that you can recognize people the same way you would if you actually knew them. You're like, hmm, that person, who, who is that person? Oh, it's that person that I follow or that I'm friends with on Facebook. Yes. Well, and I think that actually happened quite a bit to me at ATIA where there were some people that maybe has never, never seen my face, but um, a lot of, there was a lot of first time attendees as well at ATIA. And then I would be talking to somebody in the hallway. Cause like I said, I've been there, going there forever. So as I'd walk down the hallway, I'd stop and chat with people. And then I get these kind of side eye glances from people like, oh, I recognize that voice. And then they say that. Then they go, hey, are you that guy from Talking With Jack? I'm like, yeah, that's me. Ah, we recognize your voice. So that was kind of cool. That actually happened to me at ASHA. I don't know if it was this year. I think it was last year, actually. And I was standing at a booth and someone came up to me or I was standing next to someone at a booth talking to the person at the booth. And the person next to me said something like, I know that voice. And I was like, <gasps> I was very surprised. And I'm like, oh, you listen to the podcast? She's like, it's my favorite podcast. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. So it's just, yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, obviously people hear our voices. People know our voices, Chris. They do. Now, if some of you are listening to this, and I know, Rachel, you weren't there at ATIA and you were, you were texting me saying, you know, you have this FOMO. I'm here to tell you that I also had FOMO. The, the entire ATIA was really difficult to get to every session you wanted to go to. And often we were presenting or I was presenting at the same time. Like, I really wanted to go to Karen Erickson. She just launched a new book called Comprehensive Literacy for All, Teaching Students with Significant Disabilities to Read and Write. Uh, she is not sponsoring this podcast. I'm just pointing out that that's a new book that came out and I really wanted to go to her session, but I was presenting at the same time. And then you look through the sessions and go, well, I want to go to that one. And I want to go to that one. And I want to go to that one. I can't go to any of these right now because I know um, uh, Marlene Cummings and Tavi jones Willerber and a couple other people holded a, a session that I did last year the, on, on challenges while I was presenting at that time. So I couldn't get to everything that I wanted to as well. Well, you were sending me lots of photos with lots of people and I was super jealous. I was not at ATIA and I was wishing that I was. I almost had to stop going on social media because I felt so sad that I wasn't there having fun with everyone. <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe I'll do a little digital detox right now so I don't feel the effects of FOMO so hard. So let me tell you, when I came back from FETC, I mentioned that esports was the big thing, right? Well, mm -hmm. coming back from ATIA, I, I always like to think about that. Like, what was the theme of the conference? Or what did I, you know, I'm sure everyone has their different um, reasons to go to a conference and goals that they're trying to achieve. But for me, I think the big theme that came out of, of ATIA this year is that, especially when it comes to AAC, is that literacy is king, right? Is that we really need to be focusing on teaching both reading and writing. And again, that's Karen Erickson's book was, was a huge topic of a conversation at, the, at ATIA with just about everyone I stopped to talk to. And so I, that would be my big takeaway is that we need to be focusing more on reading and writing. I love it. I mean, I think that's, that's definitely something we should be prioritizing and that should be getting out to the masses, right? I think we know it inherently, right? We talk about it, we understand it, but I think it's, it's challenging for a lot of clinicians to put that into practice. And so I'm hoping that Karen's book um, really shed some light on practical strategies that will help clinicians. Um, because again, like, I think we all know how important it is, but it's, it's hard to make that leap into, okay, but like, what am I doing in my session today? That's going to be supporting literacy. You know, I think it's like hard to make that leap. Um, cause we're kind of, we're an unknown uncharted territory in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of it is just, you know, presuming potential and knowing that kids will learn these things. Because I think often when we, you know, start an activity or, um, you know, we plan something, we think, oh, like, will they understand that? Or will they get it? Or is this too much too soon? Um, we have all these kind of this negative belief systems that we, you know, inherently always have, but challenging that and saying, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull the keyboard out on their device and I'm going to show them, you know, how to spell cat or whatever it is. Um, I think it's just something we need to start naturally doing in our sessions um, with all of the kids that we work with. 
Yeah, there's the knowing it, and then there's the doing it. And again, let's hope that that, that book helps. And of course, you and I can do help here on the podcast and people we interview, and we can always give strategies as well. Absolutely. So what else did I miss at ATA? What else was going on? Uh, survey says you missed quite a bit. So I got to do the Richard Dawson Act. Um, I mentioned that we were doing this session. And again, this was the session that I couldn't go to all these other cool sessions because I was doing this one. So what this was, was the Assistive Technology Family Feud. And I had asked a state organization up in Indiana called the Patents Group to be one family. And then I asked the Fiddlers, which is another state organization down in Florida, to be another group. And they went whole hog into this thing. They got t-shirts, patents, were uh, they had matching sunglasses? They got tattoo sleeves. They it was it was awesome. And the fiddlers got t- uh, t-shirts as well, and they had glasses. And we had the music going. I went thrift shopping and got this old '70s uh, suit, and I got these fake sideburns to put on. It's all over Twitter. You can find the, the my Richard Dawson. I, and because my daughter had just um, my daughter was just in a play, so she got all these flowers, you know. And so I, I, I snagged one of her flowers and made it a little cumber bun for myself, you know, a little, uh, it was, it was pretty ridiculous. And the session went really well, um, for the first time ever doing anything like this, you know, I had sent out a survey that 65 different people responded to that had 12 different questions all about different tools and strategies that you would use to help students with disabilities in different domains, like reading and writing and math and so on and so forth. And, uh, then I, I compiled all of those surveys into like the, you know, the top ones. I eliminated anything that was a, that was a kind of a one-off, you know, if someone just, if one person put one random thing in there and it was the only one response, I cut that out. But anything that had two or more responses it left on there. And it was so much fun. We got all the, all the people in the session were participating because if you, if, you know, you got three strikes and you're out and they couldn't guess what one of the answers were, um, then I turned it over to the audience and the participants and everyone was kind of shouting out to see it was there. It was, and I have to give a, a big shout out to a bunch of my friends who uh, I grabbed right there. Like they didn't know what they were getting into. They thought they were going to just come and watch the feud. And I was like, Jennifer Edge Savage, I need you to run the computer. Uh, Matthew Press, I need you to um, keep track of my answers because uh, when you did the, the PowerPoint, I couldn't get all the things to display at the same time. We've brainstormed that now. Now I can get them to. Uh, Alyssa Wern, um, I got her, I asked her. She made a whole spreadsheet that kept the responses of everybody because the panelists, when they were guessing, you know, the, the family members, when they were guessing responses, they guessed good stuff. Even if it wasn't on the board, it was still a good strategy, right? So everyone walked away with really good strategies, a number of good tools, not just that the people answered in the survey, but also what these expert panelists had to say. There were some takeaways I would have changed. You know, we talked about, we brainstormed afterwards, like maybe after every single question or, you know, there was 12 of them, we might take a second to discuss them a little bit more. I, I kind of got caught up in the game showiness of it, you know, like uh, right. survey said, you know, and number two answer on the board, you know, text to speech, is it up there? You know, I got into it really. I, maybe I lost it just for a second that this was actually a conference where we were learning information. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm presenting right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually presenting this information. Um, but yeah, I, all these people, um, Catherine Fredericks, who has been on the podcast, she helped us keep track of all the <clears throat> when you got it wrong. So um, it was uh, it was great that a bunch of my friends were there. It's about these, my extended family were able to be there to help me out. And the Pattons and the Fiddlers group were so great. You think you know all this stuff, right? But it's really hard to be on the spot in front of a room full of people and answer a question like that. Absolutely. Um, and they did a great job. They really did a great job. So unanimously, we all thought we'd come back and do it again uh, with some little refinements, you know, um, just to make it better, even a better experience next year. I love that. That's so fun. And I'm actually looking on my phone right now because you're talking about the the like buzzer, like, ah. I actually have an app that I use with kids. They think it's hilarious and I'm trying to find it. It's on my phone. They didn't do an update with the last iOS update. Ooh, it worked. Um, it's this this app that we can definitely link to in the show notes. Um, but here's the the buzzer. No. It says no, but it also has a lot of other ones. It has the Mario. 
So anyway, it's a really great thing to work on yes, no. Um, a really fun way, like, you know, if you're probing for data and you need to, you know, see, okay, where are we at with who questions? Um, kids really, really like this when they're kind of starting to like lose focus or um, I just love this as a visual. They love like both when I do it, but also then I have them be the teacher and I'm like, okay, did I, you know, say that sound right? Or, you know, did I answer that question right? Um, so anyway, this is a really cool one. And it reminded me of what you were talking about. What is the name of that app? It's called Yes, yes. and No. Hmm. I will send it. It's, it was some random thing that I found. I'm always scouring the internet for new apps that I can use in therapy. And um, this one is, is fantastic. So we'll definitely link to the show notes with this app because, and it's free. I'm pretty sure it's free. So it's like another great tool that you can just have in your toolbox. It's funny you bring that up because we had this discussion with the patents and fiddlers people. We were trying to figure out, well, okay, how are we going to ring in? How are we going to buzz in? Right. And I looked up for diff different apps, just like you had there. And I actually went and talked to uh, the local high school. They, they play in this academy, you know, this like academic, it's academic game. And they have these buzzers. <laughs> Rachel can see me wiggling my thumbs up and down. But he, he's holding a fake buzzer in his hand. <laughs> But what we decided was to bring two what are called uh, step-by-steps or uh, one-steps, which are single-hit buttons. Uh, and you hit the button, and it plays a message, right? And we thought we'd have the participants in the room judge who hit the button first, just to get that, that audience or participant engagement. And so that's what we did. And it was a lot of fun because all the people in the, in the participants, they were pointing to the right or pointing to the left. I love that. Well, that sounds like a like a really fun session that I missed out on. I'm not surprised that you made a session super fun, Chris Bougay. Well, can I tell you something, Rachel? This is sort of a thing with me, and that is that I feel like it's 2020, and I'm not a fan of going to a session and listening to someone talk to me the entire time because I feel like you can put that content out in different ways, right? And I'm certainly not a fan of someone coming and listening to me for a 60-minute session, right? I mean, we have this podcast. People want to listen to us talk about different strategies. They can tune into the podcast. But what you can't do, and, and people travel from all over, right? I mean, they're, one of the patents persons, they, they recruited some guy from Ireland, Thomas, hi, if you're listening, right? And people come from Australia, from Ireland, from all over the country, from Canada, from, from, from all over this country, all over the world, they come to this conference. If you come to the conference to sit and listen to something you can watch on YouTube, that feels like a waste. I feel like this is what the conference is meant to be. It's the discussions that you can have with all these people that it's a little bit harder to do online face-to-face, -face, you know? You can't have a family feud experience uh, like that remotely, you know? And that's what I, I try and bring to people when, we, when I think put together a presentation is like, what can't you do online? That's what I try and plan. I love that. I love thinking through that lens because oftentimes we focus when we're presenting on the content, right? We focus on what we want to teach, not how we want to teach it. But oftentimes the how is so important because that actually ends up solidifying the content for people right? Absolutely. I really think people are going to remember the information they learned or didn't learn. Like how much does it stick in your head when you for sure thought, in fact, one of the questions, Rachel, one of the questions for the AT feud was what are the best ways you learn more information, like professional development wise and podcast wasn't on there, right? Uh, no, I'm they didn't so say offended. It. We got a huge laugh out of that, that here I am having had a podcast since 2008 and doing this with you every week that the survey did not say podcast. Podcast, right? But how much is that going to stick in your brain now because it wasn't up there? Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. And the people in the audience who did not uh, say podcasts or were not thinking of it, now they're going to because it was such a, a raucous thing that everyone kind of shouted out, right? People also didn't say books, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> are books dying? <laughs> uh, it's particularly funny since I wrote one. You know what I mean? It's true. We have a real live author and podcast host right in front of me right now. All right. So I know I've, I've chewed up a bunch of time, but uh, Rachel, here's some other interesting stuff. So ATIA, I got to do a couple uh, like sort of like small talk episodes, a little longer than our, our typical small talk, but I interviewed a bunch of different people, just sort of like you did it at uh, ASHA, right? I was I was really good, like inspired by what you did at ASHA. And I'm, I'm doing it this year at ATIA. So I was able to get six 
different interviews. So you'll hear three coming up right here. And then I have three in a part two episode where I'm going to tell you even more, some interesting takeaways and uh, other cool stuff that happened at ATIA. So before we head into the interview, we have a Patreon site now. So if you guys haven't checked out our Patreon, we would very much appreciate your support. You can go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Chris, why would somebody want to sign up for a Patreon? Well, as you know, we have an amazing team of Luke and Michaela that are supporting us with all this behind the scenes work and we want to pay them. We want to give them some some money for their efforts. Uh, they've been volunteering for, for over two years now on the podcast, spending all this time uh, making it sound as awesome as it does and doing a lot of the back work, making sure those show notes are up to date and are accurate so it makes it easy for people to go and click on that information, uh, making it sound amazing so that uh, when my microphone cuts out or I have to uh, record in, the, in, the, in a busy crowded hall, it's not awful. Michaela makes it sound uh, pristine and polished and professional every single time. And we just want to uh, reward them for their efforts. And the reality is the more, the more Patreon members we get and the more money we're able to bring in to support the podcast, the more we're able to do even more content for the podcast um, and even more content for our Patreon members. I'm really excited at this idea. We're trying to get to 50 members and then we're going to open up new tiers of membership that include, you know, all types of really great stuff with Chris and I. And I definitely want to give a shout out to our current Patreon members. We've had Amanda, Rachel, and Ariella. They've been longtime Patreon members. Um, And we have two new ones, Meredith and Bronwyn. We are so excited. I've already been chatting with them in messages, um, thanking them for the support, um, letting them know that if they have ever had any letting them know if they ever have any questions, reach out because our Patreon members are our elite. I've already been talking with them. We've been messaging back and forth. I've thanked them for their support and um, let them know if they ever have any questions that definitely reach out. Um, So please join our Patreon. We would love your support. Uh, We're asking for $8 a month to support this podcast. That's just $2 an episode. Um, And you can reach our Patreon by going to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. So let me tell you quickly about the three interviews you're about to hear. The first one is with Dr. Jennifer Thistle, who's going to talk about visual scene displays and a survey that she's doing for research. She's looking for speech language pathologists that have been working for the last couple of years, and she's really interested in diving into what their experience was like uh, when they were in their grad programs and kind of learn about uh, pre-service models that were out there. The second one you're going to hear is a grad student, Karen Fahey, who uh, searched you out. Rachel asking if she was if you were going to be at ATIA and you said nope but I know a guy and uh, you hooked me up with her and so we chatted for a while about uh, her graduate experience with AAC and then the third one is I already mentioned how uh, I ran into uh, Amanda Hettenhausen, who is a Saltillo rep, um, but I knew her from, from a long time ago. Her and I worked together on uh, USAC, some social media stuff, which we, we talk about here in the interview. So She's going to specifically give us strategies about how to adapt books for reading. Again, nothing specific to Saltillo, everything all about, again, with this theme of literacy and reading, she's going to give uh, strategies on how to adapt books. So now let's head into the interviews that Chris did at ATIA. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I am Chris Bouguet and I'm here at ATIA. This is, uh, I've been doing a number of interviews today and one of them is with Jennifer Thistle. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm doing well. Last day of the conference and riding the wave on the way out. I, I know, it's amazing we're still standing, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so how is the conference? But Well, let's start with this. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, I am a professor at Western Washington, and I uh, supervise students and teach AAC and language disorder courses for Western. Fantastic, because there's not enough universities that have AAC courses, and you do. We do, and um, actually just this year we've increased our uh, the number of credits the course has to, we're on the quarter system, so it's a four-credit course, which is closely equivalent to a three-credit semester course. So what can you tell us a little bit about the content? What's it like? Um, So I try to do everything because I think it's important that our students come out with a lot of information. Um, I'm trying to do a lot of um, hands-on activities in class covering everything from what is all of the technology, or at least a glimpse of the technology because there's not enough time for all of it, and then talk about assessment and intervention across the lifespan. 
So it's a big, big job. That is a I big ask, job. I ask a lot of my students. Um, I teach it in a flipped um, structure. So I have them do a lot of readings and webcasts outside of class that they come to so that in class we can actually apply that and practice doing activities with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Um, and then you, you do research as well? I do, yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about the research? Yeah. <laughs> so I have a couple different lines of research. Um, one line of research has to do with um, the design of visual displays. So looking at what do we know and do around visual scene displays. That was some stuff that I was presenting here at ATIA. Um, I've also looked at grid-based displays, um, the use of color, and getting into now validating the idea behind motor planning with um, how we design the displays and should we be changing where symbols are located. Um, I think it's... I'm guessing the research says... Don't change the symbol. The research has <laughs> don't change it. So yeah. far, my research has just been with um, preschool kids without disabilities, and I need to move into doing more research with kids with um, different diagnoses who actually are using AAC. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was what we'd expect that, no, you know, they're, they are faster to find symbols when those symbols stay in the same place same over time. Place. Yes, so. yes. Uh, that, uh, and when you do research, I know you look at the previous research that's been done. We've talked to Elena DeCovney on mm-hmm. the podcast, mm-hmm. so um, who has done some of the research in, uh, well, like some of the research in, in motor planning, mm-hmm. right? So I'm sure... We've worked for, together. You've yeah. worked... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, and uh, that's what I always reference about trying to keep buttons in the same spot, yeah. keep the cells, keep the words... Keep, keep everything where it is. But I don't know as much about um, visual scene displays. Mm-hmm. So you were presenting on that. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah. So my colleague, Amber Thiessen from uh, University of Houston, and I have done a survey in the last couple, well, I guess it's been about a year of um, having the survey out there uh, where we looked at and asked SLPs to kind of weigh in on how they use visual scene displays, what communication functions they find best are best supported by visual scene displays. Wait, before we go any further, can you describe what a visual scene display is? There might be people sure. listening going, well, what's that? And I get understanding, don't move buttons around, but I don't know right, what... Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So a visual scene display is a... Um, if you think of it, it's best thought of as a photograph or best start thinking about it as a photograph. It, it is where concepts and vocabulary can be embedded that provide a context. So if you think about a grid-based display, which is rows and columns of individual symbols, those symbols all kind of stand on their own. In some displays, some grid-based displays, the, the overall display of all of the symbols might be related to one activity, and so they're sort of context. But in a visual scene display, it is just one picture, and the all of the concepts are embedded in that picture. So if you have um, a scene with an individual playing a soccer game or a bunch of kids playing a soccer game, then you can talk about what happened in the soccer game. You can talk about the ball. You can talk about how fast people were running. Um, so lots of concepts can be embedded in it. And the thought is that that added context for both kids and adult populations can add uh, meaning and help them understand more and, and kind of further the conversation that they might be able to have. Would a... Would a, a so I'm just coming up with this analogy right now. Mm-hmm. So so we'll this could be goes. flawed, right? <laughs> but I think about like reading to a young child that's that's not literate, and you might be looking at picture books, and then you're describing the things in the books, and it's not necessarily labeling things like that's a ball, but just you're talking about the picture in general, and that mm-hmm. having that picture. So if you uh, a wordless picture book, entire books that have no words in them, this these are like a series of of uh, visual mm-hmm. screen, visual uh, picture. Scene displays. Scene, yeah, visual scene displays. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, So what what were you presenting on the... the So we presented, uh, we had two different posters this week. Um, One was the data for the from the SLPs who work with children on, um, we had them, we asked them the question where we gave them six pictures that could be potentially used in a visual scene display and said, rank them. And the pictures varied on how much information was in the picture, how much context the picture provided, and presence and absence, and 
orientation of people in the picture. So looking at, is it important to include a human in the visual scene? And what should that human be doing? What should that p person be engaged in? Should they be engaged in the activity or should they be looking at the camera? Mm. Um, and so six different pictures, they ranked them. Um, and we had a similar poster that was based on the results of participants who uh, provide services for adult clients. Okay. And also had a group of participants who were AAC researchers. So a handful of the researchers who have recently published something as the first, second, or third author um, talking about visual scene displays. So these are presumably those people who are you know, going on, here's, the, here's what we know about the concepts, or here's what we think about the concepts, and then kind of comparing that to what are clinicians doing in the field? Mm -hmm. um, and saw some nice parallels. So that was good. Um, <laughs> you know, research and, and you know, research is making it to clinical um, practices and clinicians are, are seeing some of the same things that the researchers suggest might be useful. Yeah. Um, and for, uh, for both what, for both populations, adult versus the child uh, supporting SLPs, we saw that the greatest amount of context and with a human in, in the scene engaged in the activity, everybody rated or most people rated as the best. Okay. And most people rated the worst, the one that had the least amount of information and no person. Mm. And that's, that's, I mean, again, that's what research would suggest is the way to do it. And that's what clinicians are saying they're doing. So, and so this validates that. Yes. 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 Awesome. So awesome. We have good results. Now you, you came up to me at a, at the end of a session because you have a survey that you're doing future yeah, research. So yeah. my, another line of research I have, um, is all centered around, um, kind of, so called teaching our research around the teach the scholarship of teaching and learning. And um, one area of that research that I'm looking at is our what should we be teaching our uh, individuals or who are going through AAC classes? Mm -hmm. And because I teach at an SLP, I'm focusing on SLPs only. Um, I think there's a, a lot more, and I could probably do tons of interviews and surveys with all of our populations that are part of the team. Um, but right now, it's just SLPs, and I'm doing an interview with them to kind of do some thinking about, you know, what was your, you know, what did you come out of your grad school knowing, and what do you wish you had known, and really trying to identify some gaps in how we are teaching and preparing our SLPs to work with individuals who use AAC. Yeah. So I'm looking to interview. Uh, um, current SLPs who, um, who have been working for at least three years, who have at least one student that they've supported who uses AAC, um, who is a school-based SLP. Um, my interviews take 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how much we end up talking. I think I've had one that crept up to close to about an hour. Um, but I'm busy, you're busy, try to Respect everybody's time with that. I understand how these interviews go. Yeah, I can do yeah. them. <laughs> you think, oh, this is a couple minutes, and all of a sudden, an hour's there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I think that's really kind of the you know my first step is just you know reach out, get in touch with me, um, and you know we'll set up a time to do the phone call. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested in participating, right, and they want to give feedback on this, and really, I would encourage everybody to do this because uh, we, I think we already know that there are gaps. I mean, there's a lot of universities that don't even have AAC right. as part of their program, right. or it's an elective, or it's, uh, you know, you do this, per, uh, I know mine, for instance, and this was many years ago, was I had a half a course on voice and then a mm -hmm. half a course on AAC, and we mm -hmm. called it one course, you know. Yes. But still, there's lots of gaps, right? And then... Now we have places that are doing AAC, they are teaching it, so what's happening there? Mm -hmm. what, what could really be beneficial when you actually get out into the, into the workforce? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so please, everyone, uh, I'm not talking to Jennifer right now, I'm talking to you, uh, reach out, so, and what's the best way they can reach out to you? So um, email is, I'm gonna get it, um, email me at uh, jennifer.thistle at www.edu. Awesome. We'll have that link in the show notes so people can just click right on it and open their email and send you say, I'd like to participate. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I can also do is I haven't yet, but as I was walking around and looking at how people 
connect and communicate throughout uh, this conference. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before, but it was create a kind of a contact sheet where one of the things I we need to do is obviously schedule it. So one of the emails that I go back and forth with people about is when are you available? When am I available? And, um, so maybe what I'll do is create a, a Google form that we can also link to the show notes that you could use instead of just emailing me that would include your contact info and you know what time zone you're in and what times you're available. And that might speed up our communications. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Sounds yeah. great. All right. So everybody reach out. That'll be to Dr. Thistle. Mm-hmm. Thank Bye. you for being on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I hope to hear from everyone. Good luck. I can't wait to see the results of the survey. Thank you. Hi, this is Chris for Talking With Tech, and I am here at the ATIA conference with Karen Fahey. Am I yes. saying that right? Yes, that's right. Awesome. So Karen, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, so um, I am a second year graduate student getting my master's in speech language pathology. So I'll be I'll have my master's at the end of this year, December 2020. And um, I just have a strong interest in AAC and assistive technology. That's why I got into speech therapy. Um, and this is my first time here at ATIA and really excited to be here. So let's talk about it for a second. What's your experience here at ATIA? Because it's your first time here. So what's it been like? Um, it's been really awesome. First, first of all, just to be surrounded by so many people that are so excited about assistive technology. Um, I'm here with two of my SLP friends who originally inspired me to go into this field. So it's been really fun to be with them and kind of feel a little bit more like a professional, not just a student anymore. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've seen some really cool stuff so far. Definitely the exhibit hall is incredible. It's fun to play around with the different technology. Um, got to play some eye games video games, um, saw some really cool AAC for the visually impaired, which is something um, that I've seen online, but to actually be able to pick up and feel the, the different tactile um, icons was really awesome. Um, and yeah, aside from that, just seeing all the different speakers and all the different things that people are doing and just feeling more like I'm not alone in this mission of spreading AAC and AT and seeing that there's other people that have similar visions and similar missions as me. Um, so let me ask you this. So you're here for like four or five days. You're here for the entire conference and you're just soaking it all in. Um, so no, actually, I just flew in to Orlando last night from California. So I got here around 8 p.m. Orlando time and I will be leaving tomorrow afternoon. So I'm just here for today since I'm still in grad school. Um, as you might imagine, I can't miss a whole lot of school, but it really, um, you know, it really meant a lot to me to make it out here. So I made the effort and I'm just glad to be here for today. I cannot believe that. You flew from California <laughs> to Florida. You're not even going to Disney or anything like that. And then you are heading back on a plane tomorrow and you're just staying here one day. That is correct. Yes. I just really wanted to see this. Um, this is something that's been on my radar since I first started looking uh, into becoming a speech therapist. And so I just felt like, you know, this is my last year as a student. Next year I'll be a professional um, officially. So I just wanted to dive right in and see what this world is all about. How did you get interested in AAC specifically? So I got my undergrad degree in psychology, and then I started working at a non-public school program for kids on the spectrum. And so actually all of my students there um, in my classroom were AAC users. And so I had speech therapists that I worked closely with. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the two speech therapists I'm with uh, this weekend, um, who I worked with daily and, and saw what they were doing and loved what they were doing. And I said, this is cool. And so it's, it's interesting because... I actually got into speech thinking that that was speech. I thought AAC was speech and that's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I started to pursue this career that I started to realize how niche AAC is in our field. Um, and I was a little confused, like, why isn't everyone jumping up and down about this? This is incredible technology. Everybody should be as excited about AAC. So, <laughs> so coming into it um, with that perspective has been interesting. 
interesting because it's been a, um, you know, it's really formed part of my mission, which is not just to be a clinician, not just to be an AAC therapist, but also to make sure that empowering other speech therapists to realize that it's it's not so scary. It's, it's not this super unique techie thing that you have to do. We're all capable of implementing AAC in our therapy. We all can do it. Um, it's just a matter of doing a little bit of extra research and, and learning from other people who are doing it. Can I ask, so you said this is your final year as a, as a grad student, is mm-hmm. that right? Um, what has your experience been at your university with uh, learning about AAC? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, when I first got into my graduate program, I was very excited to see that there was an AAC course listed as a required course. And I got r- reports from multiple people. They said, don't get too excited. It's not very great. <laughs> and so thankfully, they warned me to lessen the blow. Um, it it wasn't that great. It was, um, it was definitely just kind of a survey of AAC. Um, having been out in the field and worked with AAC users and having done a lot of research on my own, I was very aware that the class was outdated and just in general, it it didn't give the information that people might need to actually do AAC therapy. It was more of a, hey, FYI, this is a thing. Some people do it take it or leave it. (laughs) And most people leave it. So it really gave me the perspective though, because, um, I always, as I got into the field, I was wondering, like I said, why aren't people jumping up and down? Why aren't people so excited about this AAC? And it, it made me realize, oh, okay. If this was my only exposure to AAC, I also would have no idea what I'm doing. I would feel completely uncomfortable working with an AAC user and I would just feel like it's an area that I'm incompetent in and I would, I need to go, you know, to a bunch of CEUs and do all of this other research to be able to do something like this. But having my experience working with AAC users, I know that that's just not true. You don't have to go to tons of CEUs. You just have to pick up an iPad and play around for a little bit. So here's what's kind of sad about this is that mm-hmm. um, you coming right out of grad school, soon to be out of grad school, and me uh, back in 1990-something, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also I had a half a class on AAC, and it mm-hmm. was very similar. It was yeah. like a, a uh, airplane flying over it, you know what I mean, not mm-hmm. really deep diving into it. And so all these years later, what are we talking here? Uh, 2020. Yes, yes, right? So we're talking at least 30 years, yeah. right? Um it has not changed that much. So we really have to, well, at least, you know, and I went into a, at a Kent state in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, um, all across the country, I think we have to do how, what can we do to help our pre-service clinicians and teachers and everyone else, uh, make this uh, more of a deep dive into AAC. Would you agree? Uh, definitely. I, I definitely agree. And I know that I'm doing my part at my university just by being really vocal about it. I talk about it all the time. I talk to the clinicians in the clinics, um, even if they're not specific. We do have a specialty AAC clinic, which is great. Um, but that's you know, only 12 clinicians every year that go through the AAC clinic. Um, but so talking to all the clinicians that are also just in the general clinic and the other clinics and teaching them about AAC, about how it can be used. Um, so that just on a small scale, just being vocal about it. Um, and then aside from that, I'm really excited about the, the use of social media in our field and seeing that there's a lot of speech therapists out there that are kind of creating brands for themselves. And using uh, using Instagram and using Facebook as a means to bridge that gap. And that's actually something I didn't mention that's been really cool about being here at ATIA is connecting with people that I've connected with over social media. Um, and I was just having a conversation earlier with a woman who I've connected with multiple times on Instagram um, and getting to meet her in person and just having that feeling of, again, like, I'm not alone in this. I'm not just one SL out in California that's jumping up and down like, come on, AEC, we got to get it out there. But knowing that there are other speech therapists out there, there are other assistive technology specialists and lots of people that understand that this needs to be brought to the light and we're all working towards it. And so having that outlet of social media to keep each other motivated, um, keep each other um, inspired,
shared is, I think, is a huge piece, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. So here at the conference, that's been one of my big takeaways. Of course, I understand this um, Insta thing you're talking about, you know, yeah. because the, uh, no, Instagram, of course. And, um, <laughs> But my thing has been Twitter, right? And so mm. I know Rachel is uh, has a big presence on Instagram and I have mm -hmm. a bigger presence on Twitter. And mm. it's part of like, well, I'll pull and, and connect on Twitter. Um, I've noticed that here at this conference that uh, many of the speech therapists like, oh, I know you from Instagram and I know you from Instagram. And there's this whole mm -hmm. sort of network that is connected. And that's, I feel the same way with my Twitter buddies. You know, I cool. see people on Twitter and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so-and-so, you know, and then we connect because we feel like we know each other, you know. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the same feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so definitely, I think for our our generation, um, I'm 28 years old. So I think our generation, like 30 and below Instagram really is the new outlet um, that people are using. And I think um, because different from Twitter, I think maybe why it's taking off a little bit more is uh, there's that visual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're we're very visual people and we want to see, you know, the, the, the posts and the stories and and the little short videos. And I think that's helping um, one just to keep people more engaged. But also for us, it feels more personal because, you know, there's people that I see their face and I recognize them. And so I know who you are. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Let me ask you. So what's next for you? You you're going to fly back home. You're going to take a, you'll be in class again next week, right? Yes. And then, uh, you graduate and then what's up? What are your, what, what's, what's your future plans? Um, so, uh, then I'll be doing my clinical fellowship year. So I'm not sure yet where I want to be. I'm pretty open as far as what setting I want to be in. Cause the most important thing to me is who my mentor is. And so over the next year, uh, I'll, I'll be done with classes in May. And then during the summer, I'll do an externship and then in the fall, I'll do student teaching. So I'm hoping that within, or I assume, and, and I, I think this is true, within the next year, um, doing all of those things and then also going to conferences like these, I'll meet somebody who either will be my mentor or will lead me to my mentor. And so whoever that person is, wherever they are, whatever setting they're in, that's where I'll be. <laughs> so you, you heard it here first. We got Karen looking for an awesome mentor. So if you know stuff about AAC, consider Karen <laughs> especially in your if you're in California because I, I need to get my CFY in California to make that licensure really easy <laughs> I don't know anyone in California that does AAC so I can't help you wait a second I can think of somebody <laughs> thank you so much Karen thank you it was great to connect with you So welcome to Talking With Tech. I am sitting here at the ATIA conference with Amanda. Amanda, can you pronounce and spell your last name for us? Right, yeah, it's German, Hettenhausen, H-E-T-T-E-N-H-A-U-S-E-N. I married into it, so, you know, you live with it. <laughs> it was Smith before, right? Is that <laughs> Finney, super cute Irish name, yeah. yeah real easy. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so... Welcome to ATIA. You, you. you and I have known each other for many years now, yeah. right? Um, I think we met at Isaac one year. Wasn't that it? Isn't that the I first? went to your and Carol's session. Yeah. Yeah. And you inspired media. me. Uh -huh. And we, um, you reached out afterwards because I, I think I had laid down some sort of challenge. Like, there's an opportunity here for a chat, right? Wasn't that it? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To create an AT or an AAC chat. Yeah. So we did that with you, Zach. And then the other thing you did is you encouraged me to create like a Facebook social media group for my territory that I support. So I started that right after attending your session. Really? And I now have like 450 people in my territory that I support, parents, teachers, whatever, that are on there for like my community. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. All right. So we're here. Uh, I know you do a lot in the space of AAC. And so what are some strategies, tips? What can we talk about? And sure. also apologizing and apologize up front all the little background noise this is the best quietest spot we could find but oh. that's all right um yeah so i'm a speech pathologist by trade so i worked for five years first and then the last six years i've worked for saltillo as a consultant so what's lovely is i get to meet with teams all the time and so you had kind of asked me like what could you talk about and i feel like there's lots of things i could talk about but the one thing i do consistently with teams is i usually get like an hour and a half to two hours with them with the device but the big question is not the programming or whatever it's like how do i use this in the classroom um, and honestly, there was the session yesterday, and I don't remember the title of it, but with Rachel and Aaron and, and Marlene that talked about those barriers. Mm -hmm. And so I think out of all of those barriers, like knowledge, attitudinal, policy, the one 
that I see most is probably the knowledge, mm -hmm. which is great, right? Because yeah, it's harder, <laughs> yeah, it's harder to fix attitudinal yeah. and policy, but the knowledge barriers. So my colleague in Colorado, Megan Conover, she's always on my shoulder saying, keep it simple and natural. Okay. Like if you can do those two things, we can build success from there. And so sometimes, you know, my speech pathologist in me gets all crazy and theoretical and all these big terms or whatever, but I always go back to her like simple and natural. And so that's the approach I take with most of my teams, you know, so understanding like, what are you doing in your classroom now? Um, what are your goals for this kiddo? So like we can get that buy-in and what's something that you do regularly already. So often people don't have an answer for me in terms of what do you do regularly and all that. So two things that are like my favorite go-to. So one is reading, which, I mean, this is nothing that I've created, right? I'm just taking best of other people. Mm -hmm. um, so most people know how to read. So that's simple mm -hmm. and it's natural. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not the, a heavy lift. Right. Mm -hmm. Most people know how to read and they already have that built into their day. Mm -hmm. The part that they don't know how to do is read with a device. And so that part then is not as simple. So we have to like really simplify that. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll either use like PowerPoint books with just one word, you know, and like you, we were talking a little bit about visuals. I'll put them on there for the communication partner or I'll find a book, like what book do you have? And then I'll help them simplify it. Mm -hmm. And then not only just talking about it, but then I make them do it. So I'll model and use the device and then I'll have them do it. And we like take turns um, and then I can give them that feedback. Usually it takes like 10 minutes, but then they've at least experienced it a little bit. And then I say to them, can you do this? So that's, you know, if you look at that, like impact approach, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like talk to them about the what, the why of like modeling aided language input, you know, yeah. show them, do it with them and then plan. And so that's the piece. I feel like I do it really quick, probably 10, 15 minutes, but if you can keep it to that simple piece instead of modeling across the whole day and modeling and all your activities. And, um, I have made that that mistake. I have said people, it's, we're going to model all day long. And then I've had to reel that all back in and do like, it's like a simple activity to start modeling. And you know, it. some people can. So we were talking last night and you know, one of the consultants was like, yeah, I just explained to the modeling. I, I showed him some of our resources and, um, like our calendar with the books. And the next thing I knew she had like ordered the books and was modeling across her whole day. I'm like, and when that happens, it's magic. Yes. And that just means that's a really good person who just understands language, AAC maybe, or just, you know, gets it. But that's not what we see that's usually most rare. of the time. Yeah. And the people that are asking, how do I use this in the classroom are usually not, you know, those people that have had that success. So yeah, the, the books, you know, that I always have in my bag are, um, Brown Bear, Brown Bear. It's like universal book that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I always have dragons love tacos. Which do you know that? No, book? I don't oh, know that. Yeah. Book. So I brought them because yeah, I always literally always have them in my bag. Yeah. Um, so then I have these and what I've done is and you can't see it. So I, I have a post on my Facebook group. Maybe I could share that with you. Okay. But to quickly put like the visuals on books for the communication partner, because we're trying to simplify the whole reading process for them. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was in college and early as an SLP, I would like print it out, tape it in the book, you know, all that kind of stuff. And one day I was labeling my devices with address labels. And I don't know what came to me, but I was like, why am I not using these stickers that are easy to peel off to like label my books. I know the way so, I'm currently doing it is printing it out and putting tape over right, top of it. Most as <laughs> people do it that way. Right. So anyway, I quickly grab a sheet of like, you know, the address labels, they come with the templates, like that you can just download mm -hmm. and I copy and paste from my emulation software, the little symbol. So I was doing um, brown bear. So it was C just copy and paste, printed them off. I had like, I don't know, 45 stickers quickly labeled the whole book. And then I started cutting them in strips that I can then give away to people right when I see them. So it's yeah. like, here's how I did it. Look, I have stickers ready to go for you. So and these, easy to make. I know. <laughs> I have a lot of this. And then, you know, they come in different sizes. So if you want bigger ones, if you want circle ones, like you can make stickers easily. Yeah. So I shared that with some teams that I worked with. Um, Basque AAC is on um, social media. And so anyway, they like moved it one step further and they started putting the labels, like the stickers on post-it notes. So then you have removable visuals, which is really great because, you know, we don't ultimately want those visuals in there long-term for like literacy and stuff. So as the communication partner gets more familiar, you can then take, take the stickers off. off. You can switch out the words that you want to do. So anyway, those are my, that's my little hack that I share with people. And um, you, someone attended my training and I, you know, shared all these great strategies and resources and the thing they said that they learned 
the most and like was most impactful was how to make stickers <laughs> yeah, out stickers. of like address labels. I was like, you know what? I'll take it. You, know, you have some other uh, adaptations in that book. So you have the Dragons Love Tacos book. We're looking at it right now in front of us. And you've got some other things like the, the highlighters. Highlighter yeah. Tape. So, I mean, Dragons Love Tacos, I bring that one around because it's a little more age appropriate and it's just fun. Like my, you know, my kids love it, but even older kids love it. So what you can't see, but I use those translucent sticky tapes, so like the flags mm -hmm. and they're just long. And I will put that over whatever the word is in the book that I'm going to repeat. So for Dragons Love Tacos, it's the word love it's repeated a lot so like at the beginning I do use the visual pathway for where the word is in the vocabulary but then after that I just use the little translucent sticky to put it on the word you're not you know permanently putting that in there you can move that around and you know I do that throughout the whole book so all the way through so you can see that word love as many times but I'll do it too for um by color coding sometimes because you can get those stickies in every color. So right. if it's a green word, if it's a yellow word, depending it's a on what word, system. It's a pronoun. Yeah, you you can get crazy with it. But I'll leave that with people too when I meet with um, you know, different people and I'll show them. I'll just like pull off one of those, they're really cheap, little packs of the translucent sticky labels, and we'll use it right there to adapt a book. That way you can adapt library books. You know, you're not permanently putting anything into a book, which just makes it nice. So it's interesting. Different people need different levels of support. Like what's simplifying for one person is different for another person. Sure. Um, and this makes it adjustable. So you can make, you can scaffold it to the person's needs right. as opposed to permanently making a book and have now you need nine different brown bears because each one has right. tape on it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, there are books that are, you know, like AAC Language Lab has books or you can get Tar Heel Reader PowerPoint books and all that. And I do use those. And I think sure. they're great. But I also just love when you go back to like what's simple and natural. I'll, if I'm in the classroom or in a home or something, I'll be like, give me a book that you like. This is going to be what you're most likely to use because it's in your environment, you know. Mm -hmm. So we'll try to quickly adapt a book together, make it not seem so scary. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to like say, oh, here's a repeating word. And so now what I like to do though is give it to them and say, tell me a word that you want to model. So again, making it natural for them. Mm -hmm. Cause I think far too often I was guilty of this as a speech pathologist, giving them something to do. Yeah. And that's not going to be simple or natural for them because it's not what they're used to doing. Mm -hmm. So but that's sort of a, what they want to do. What do you want to do? What's your goal? You know, what makes sense? What's something you do every day? The question varies depending on who it is, but yeah, there was a, do we still have time? Yeah. So there's a story, because I've done this a lot, where this SLP is great, and she reads and models to this little guy on his device beautifully, like as like the start of every session, and, and mom has been watching it. And so the SLP will model like um, four or five words, different words throughout the book. It's very natural for her. And mom's been watching it, and so the SLP's like, I don't know why mom can't do it. Like, we've talked about it. I've shown her. He loves to read. Like, this little guy will sit and read, but mom can't model it. So I was like, I'll come like during your session and I'll sit with mom and we'll watch. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just asked mom, like, what do you think? She's like, I think it's great. I was like, so can you do it at home? She's like, no. I was like, tell me why. And this is the part where you're like, what's the barrier? Yeah, right. You know, right. like stopping? knowledge in theory shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I just don't understand why I'm doing it. And so we kind of talked about, you know, the concept of modeling and aided language input. And, and, but really, I said, it's more for you at this point to get comfortable with the device. Yes, exactly. You're so learning where the words the are. The goal is actually not him. Mm -hmm. he sh his goal is just to listen to a story. Mm -hmm. The goal is for you to get comfortable with the device because she's not really using it at all. She can understand him and all that. And I was like, and laying the foundation, of course, for language, but really just for you to know how to use the device too. She was like, okay. So I pulled out Brown Bear because I always have it. And I started reading it. Let her pick the word. We started reading it. She's doing it. And he comes over and sits on her lap and sits there. And she does just see the whole book through. And then he gets down, like gives her a hug. And you know, I'm crying, you know, like yeah, right. watching mom. And I was like, beautiful. <laughs> and he goes back to playing. And I was like, do you think you could do that? And she still said no, like at home. I said, okay, tell me why. And she's like, well, that was still very like uncomfortable and unnatural. And when we read stories, it's bedtime. And you know what I'm thinking? What my bedtime with my kids is like my cuddle time. It's my low stress time. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's stressful because they won't go to bed, but right. you know. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I get that. So I said, well, we can pick something else, like a different activity. Mm -hmm. Or could you read a book with him and the device outside of bedtime? Mm -hmm. And so that's where she was going to start. But like the SLP, I said, we're going to need mom to bring books to you. You probably need to sit down with her 
pick a word or two and like practice it together. Like Mm -hmm. she actually needs to do it and you need to give her feedback because I think her barrier was just probably like understanding why and then the confidence to, to, to do, do it, it. you yeah. know, um, and she's exhausted in the end of the day. So anyway, it's just one of those reminders of like we tell people things, we show them things we think in our head. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And we really have to just sometimes stop and talk to people, like yeah. ask them, what do you think about the device? Like, what's your goal for using this? Mm-hmm. What's challenging? What's hard? How can I make it easier mm-hmm. versus you know, dropping off something to do and telling people what to do and leaving it. It's yes. not going to get done that way. Yes. So the word that comes to mind in that whole story is coaching, right? Is that right, um, yeah. you, instead of consulting or telling this is what you need to do, I'm going to sit there and we're going to do it together uh, until you're comfortable with it. And you're coaching them through it and you're asking questions about yes. what's me- meaningful to you. And I feel like that's the difference between training and coaching. Yes. Right? And I love coaching. I mean, that to me probably more embodies like what I do on a day to day basis, really, which mm-hmm. is lovely. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's, there's lots of different things that have worked for different people. So it's, you know, it's fun to see all the different teams and I only get like a very short amount of time. Um, but I think when people say, how do I get it started? How do I, you have to carve out time to have a conversation with somebody, you know, and understand how can I help them make it simple and natural. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm going to take thank pictures. you, Chris. Is, is it okay if I take pictures? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then I can yeah. maybe post them in the show notes for yeah, people to sure. see. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Hi, I'm Mei Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories of amazing change makers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world.